Section 23 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 The Evidence from Development 1. The Earlier Stages in the Life History of Animals. Part 1. Among the many features which mark the varied universe of life, none are more universally recognized or more typical of the living world than those which herald the production of a new being and which usher a new form upon the stage of existence from the shapeless mass of protoplasm that crawls over the water-weed as a microscopic speck upwards to man himself the varied processes of development are laid down in orderly sequence and along lines of special kind every living being animal or plant animalcule and whale the humble lichen and the giant sequoia alike passes through a definite series of changes before attaining the form and likeness of the parent which gave it birth in virtue of such changes it assumes that parental form these changes occurring in orderly array mark its pathway from shapelessness and physiological nonentity to the characteristic form of its race it is development which moulds the baby figure of the giant mass and from the minute beginnings of life evolves the highest of earth's denizens or directs the production of the teeming swarms of animalcules that people the stagnant drop and pass an existence none the less interesting or important because often all unknown to the larger and higher world without it is this same process of development which as one phase of living action draws the sharpest and clearest of boundary lines between the world of life and that of non-living matter growth and increase are truly represented in the inorganic world but these processes are different in kind from the actions which stamp the development of the animal or plant the birth of a crystal although regulated by definite laws is after all a matter of outside regulation alone and one in which the crystal itself is but a passive agent new particles are added to the outside surfaces of the old and already formed particles and crystal and stalactite thus grow mechanically and by accretion but without active participation in the work destined to mould and form their substance very different are the forces and laws which regulate the production of the living form here the changes of form and the building of the frame are marked out in plain and definite pathways by laws essentially independent of external conditions true the development of the living form may be retarded by cold or favoured by warmth but these conditions leave unaffected the course and direction in which it is destined to pass towards the form and belongings of the parent which gave it birth stamped ineffaceably on the pages of its life history the way of the animal or plant towards maturity is written for it not by it internal forces and hidden but all-powerful laws of life direct its progress and ultimately evolve the perfect being from the shapeless germ in which its past as derived from its parents and its future as depending in some degree at least upon itself meet in strange and incomprehensible union the development of a living being may be further shown to be merely a part of the wondrous cycle in which life appears to direct its possessors from the egg or germ development leads us to the perfect being next in order we consider its adult or perfected history and in due time we may discover the adult existence to merge into that of the immature state in the production of germs in the development of which its own life history will be duly repeated 
The period of adult life in this view merely intervenes betwixt one development and another, and serves to connect those ever-recurring stages in the life history of the race which it is the province of development to chronicle and record. As a necessary item in the perfect understanding of animal and plant history, it may readily be understood how important a place development occupies in modern biology, nor is the interest in the study excelled by its importance. The mystery of life itself might well be thought by the older physiologist to resolve itself into an understanding of the fashion in which nature molded and formed her varied offspring. The manner of development might be almost expected to explain the mystery of being, but the problem of life is left as insoluble as before, after the course of development and even the lowest grades of existence has been traced. The history of development but environs the puzzles connected with life and its nature. It leads us to the beginnings of life, it is true, but it leaves these beginnings unaccounted for, and as mysterious as before. It explains how this tissue or that, this organ or that, is fashioned and formed, and as we watch the formless substance giving birth to the formed, the indefinite evolving the defined, we might well be tempted to think that the why of nature was explained by the how. Yet the springs of life and vital action remain hidden as of yore, and the exact origin of life is a mystery as insoluble as when the thoughts of men were first directed to its elucidation. Apart, however, from the admission that the study of development has not brought us nearer to the solution of the question, what is life, the investigation of the life histories of animals and plants is fraught with high importance, in another sense and in other aspects, of the scientific interpretation of nature. The early observers hardly imagined that, in their researches into the formation of the chick, they were laying the foundation of a study which in future days would be destined to aid man's comprehension of his own origin and that of all living beings. Aristotle's observations upon the developing chick and his bestowal of the name punctum salience, or beating point, upon the first beginnings of the heart in the embryo bird, were in truth fraught with an importance to succeeding generations which that philosopher could barely have realized had he possessed any prophetic foresight whatever. And no less would Harvey himself have been astonished had he beheld the results to which the pursuit of his favorite study has led in these latter days. It was that great philosopher himself who first maintained that the chick was developed, not from the white of the egg, but from a minute speck or scar on the surface of the yolk, known as the blastoderm or cicatricula. In felicitous terms, Harvey enunciates his opinion that the Medici, or disciples of Galen and Hippocrates, were in error when they supposed that such important structures as brain, heart, and liver were first produced simultaneously as minute sacs or vesicles, and he disagrees with Aristotle in respect that the latter had maintained the punctum saliens, or punctum sanguinum, or heart, as the chief agent in forming the structures of the new being. Harvey ascribed to the blood itself the formative power in developing the chick. With Aristotle, however, Harvey is in perfect agreement in believing that the chick is formed not by the sudden formation of new parts outside the already formed organs, nor by the growth of a miniature and perfectly formed embryo into the larger chick, but by the gradual development and elaboration of uniform and like matter into the new and varied parts and organs of the bird. 
Such were Harvey's views regarding the nature of development. Of the supreme interest exhibited by the discoverer of the circulation in this study, no better proof could be cited than his own words when he maintains, quote, that it is most apparent that, in the generation of the chicken out of the egg, all things are set up and formed with a most singular providence, divine wisdom, and an admirable and incomprehensible artifice. Unquote. Harvey's doctrine of development received the name of epigenesis, which the physiologist himself defines in his 41st Exercitation as quote, the adidament of parts budding one out of another. Unquote. Contrasted with this opinion is that of such physiologists as Malpighi and Leibniz. They held that the body of the chick could be traced in the egg before the first rudiment of the heart appeared, and that from the first formation of the egg and prior to incubation, the young bird was to be found perfectly formed therein. Thus, by Malpighi's view, the process of development was merely one of expansion, unfolding and enlargement of parts already formed, and this idea became known as that of metamorphosis, in contradistinction to Harvey's theory of epigenesis. So also Bonnet maintained the existence of a miniature chick in the egg from the first moment of its formation. Subsequent growth and nutrition merely expand the elements and parts of this germ into those of the adult, and thus Bonnet declares the process of development to be merely one of evolution. Thus, the doctrine of epigenesis, as enunciated by Harvey, becomes opposed to that of evolution, as maintained by Bonnet and Haller, the development of new parts and structures from a structureless substance, as distinguished from the mere enlargement and unfolding of the miniature but already formed elements of the frame. But when Bonnet, in 1762, in his work entitled Considération sur le corps organisé, was elaborating his theory of evolution and less rational views on emboitement, a theory holding that each germ is the receptacle of the germs of all future beings of its race, Caspar Friedrich Wolff had already lent his aid towards placing the Harveyan views on a secure and stable basis. Wolff showed that the scar on the hen's egg consisted of particles amidst which no rudiment of an embryo chick could be traced. He further demonstrated the changes whereby the chick was built up from these cells and showed the process of development to be truly one wherein new parts were formed in succession and added to the already formed organs. Succeeding Wolf came Pander, who filled in the outlines his predecessor had so well sketched out by detailing the earlier stages and processes seen in the formation of the young bird. From Pander came the name blastoderm, given then as now, to the substance or formative material resulting from early changes in the egg scar, and from which material all the parts of the young animal are formed. This observer also cleared the way for his successors by pointing out the presence of the three layers into which the blastoderm divides, each layer bearing an important share in the formation of the tissues of the developing being. To pander came in due time a worthy successor, who may be said to have laid the solid foundations of the study of development as prosecuted in modern times. This was von Baer, whose labors each physiologist and naturalist of today must hold in grateful remembrance. He it was who, besides perfecting the details already to hand, discerned the important fact that the highest animals are developed from eggs or germs resembling in essential nature those of the lowest, 
but perhaps the greatest triumph of discovery and research as represented by von baer's labors resulted in the enunciation of his law of development which may be briefly expressed in the phrase that quote, development proceeds from the general to the special unquote. To rightly understand the purport of this axiom, our preliminary studies in the constitution of the animal kingdom must be borne in mind. The animal world, as we have seen, is divided into a number of great types, the most consistent and most firmly established of which are the vertebrates, including the backboned animals from fishes to man. Mollusks, including shellfish, such as oysters, cockles, snails, and cuttlefishes, and annulose animals, or articulates, represented by animals with jointed bodies, such as worms, insects, centipedes, crustaceans, etc. Now, if the development of a number of animals belonging to any one of these three divisions is observed, the egg of each animal is seen to pursue the even tenor of its way, and to pass at first through exactly the same stages of development. Up to a given point, the stages in the development of all vertebrates, for example, are essentially similar. Sooner or later, however, development begins to specialize its course, and hence arise the differences which mark the adult forms. So also with mollusks, which in their earlier stages pass through essentially the same changes, but sooner or later diverge in their course, each organism passing on its own way to assume the special features which characterize the adult. Such was the important generalization of von Baer. Succeeding research has but tended to establish von Baer's doctrine, whilst it has also enlarged the conception he was the first to promulgate. It is now known that there are stages in early development which are common to the eggs or germs of all animals alike, and that from the common track thus pursued up to a given point by animal life at large, each group of animals ultimately diverges on its own special way of life. Von Baer's generalization has thus come to include the whole animal world, and has in recent times tended powerfully to support the doctrine which would explain the origin of living beings by presuming their descent from pre-existing forms, and their relation with each other as twigs, boughs, and branches of a great connected tree. The relation of development and its study to the hypothesis of evolution is thus easy of determination. It is a perfectly reasonable and most natural conception that in the development of a living being we should obtain some clue to the history of its origin and to the birth of its race. If its origin be a subject of research at all, any information concerning the stages through which an animal or plant becomes the adult organism and by which it advances from literal non-existence to the staid solidity of mature form and perfect life should by analogy the most natural be regarded as a veritable mine of knowledge concerning its own beginning, and by further analogy, regarding the beginnings of the world of life at large. Upon such a thought is founded the dependence which modern biology is led to place upon development as a clue to the evolution of living beings. Succinctly expressed, it is thus held by evolutionists in general that the development of the individual is a recapitulation in brief of the development of its species or race. The history of the production of the individual is viewed as the abstract and brief chronicle of the changes and developments through which its race has passed in prior ages of this world's existence. It is true that such a history often appears meager and imperfect. 
some of its phases become altered in the lapse of time by the influence of surroundings acting favorably or the reverse upon successive generations as the lines of human progress are not always easy to trace so those of animal advance and evolution frequently appear blurred and indistinct but on the whole the record is tolerably complete the gaps in animal histories do not affect the main question at issue namely that as darwin says the embryo or young animal quote, is a picture more or less obscured of the progenitor either in its adult or larval stage of all the members of the same great class unquote. that such a study must teem with interest is a remark scarcely requiring mention nor may it be regarded as other than a triumph of scientific research when development may be seen to demonstrate how individual history repeats the history of the race and how the living world of today once existed in simpler guise and in the dim obscurity of the past lay hidden as the music of the moon sleeps in the plain eggs of the nightingale although the study of animal development is in many ways an intricate branch of research there exists no difficulty in comprehending the broad outlines which mark the building of the body in the higher as well as the lower forms of animal life if we watch the development of some animal such as a sponge belonging to the lower grades of organization we may be enabled to distinguish certain stages which not only mark sponge development but also that of animal life at large the simplest form of a sponge exists as a cup-shaped body attached to some fixed object such a form of sponge is olynthus the walls of this cup consisting of two layers are perforated with holes or pores which open into the substance of the cup and thence into the interior which communicates with the outer world by the wide mouth or osculum this sponge cup consists of two layers of which the inner is provided with delicate filaments resembling eyelashes in miniature and named cilia these cilia by their constant movement cause currents of water to flow into the sponge by the outer pores whilst by the same movement the water is driven outwards by the mouth of the cup in this way the living particles of the sponge are supplied with nutriment and the comparison of a sponge to a kind of submarine venice with canals and waterways on the banks of which the inhabitants live is thus seen to be fully justifiable the development of such an organism takes place through the production of eggs which are developed in the tissues of the parent sponge and which are merely specialized portions or cells of the inner layer of the parent body the sponge egg it must be remarked presents the essential elements seen in the eggs or germs of all animals it is a little speck of protoplasm embedded in which we find a smaller body known as the germinal vesicle and this latter in turn contains a still more minute particle the germinal spot when such an egg is about to undergo development the first changes which occur in its substance are those collectively named segmentation the egg is then seen to undergo a process of division it divides internally and successively into two four eight sixteen etc cells or divisions these portions ultimately becoming so numerous that the egg at the close of its segmentation from its resemblance to a mulberry has been named a morula soon the outer cells become elongated and provided with cilia and by means of these filaments the young organism swims freely about in the water in this stage it is known as the planula next in order a central cavity and then a mouth are formed this aperture leading into the cavity of the cup 
It is now named the gastrula, and its body is seen to consist of two typical layers, an outer or ectoderm and an inner or endoderm. These two germ layers, as we shall hereafter note, are common to all animals in the course of their development. Indeed, the formation of the embryo takes place through the subsequent development and elaboration of these two primary structures. Thereafter, this sponge embryo will attach itself to some fixed object. The outside cilia, no longer required for locomotion, will disappear, and it will assume its so-called ascula form. Other and new cilia will become developed in the inner or lining membrane of the body. The wall of the cup will next become perforated with pores, and with the inauguration of the inward and outward circulation of water, the ordinary features of adult sponge existence will thus have been attained. Such being the course of affairs in one of the simplest animal developments, we may briefly summarize the stages included therein. These stages consist, firstly, of the segmentation of the egg, which process produces the mulberry-like mass or morula. Next in order we find the planula with its two layers and its outer cilia. Then succeeds the gastrula, possessing an internal cavity, into which a mouth shortly opens. And with the formation of pores and internal cilia, the form of the adult sponge is duly produced. End of section 23. Chapter 9. The Evidence from Development. 1. The Earlier Stages in the Life History of Animals. Part 1.